Well, good evening, everyone. It's so good to have you here tonight, and uh, it's an honor to be with you to teach God's Word. We do want to take a closer look at the life of prayer, uh, so we'll be looking at passages of Scripture. They're denoted in your notes, and um, we want to have an understanding of what it means to live a life of prayer as a child of God. We hear about prayer. Prayer is preached on. We read it in the Word. But many of us in the kingdom of God do not act on the prayer and the opportunity for conversation with God that we have. And so that's what I want to talk about tonight. Um, if there's anything we need to rediscover or get back to basics regarding, it would be the role of prayer in the New Testament church and the role of prayer in the life of a believer. And my goal in the next two sessions, starting with session one, um, would be to rekindle our need for and our understanding of the power and authority available to us in prayer. And I also want to talk about practical ways uh, that we can follow through with that and grow in our personal pursuit of Jesus Christ through the help and work of the Holy Spirit. So let's jump right in tonight. You'll see at the top of your notes there's a quote there by E.M. Bounds, and you're probably wondering, who is that? E.M. Bounds was an author, a chaplain, a pastor during the late 19th and early 20th centuries and written multiple books on prayer. And it's interesting, he only had two of them published and then died, and there were about nine other works that other men who came behind him took his writings and compiled them into nine other books and published them. And there's, a, one, there's several good things I like about E.M. Bounds. Number one is his work on prayer is prolific and profound. Um, if you're looking for what the intensity and emphasis and insight is on prayer, I think he touched it. He, he had a glimpse into it. Uh, I'm not saying read inbounds and not, don't read your Bible. I'm saying read your Bible and then look through the lens of what Ian Bounds was discovering at the first part of the 19th and last, the last part of the 19th and first part of the 20th century in regards to prayer. The, the quote I'm going to share with you tonight that's in your notes is one of my favorites. It's both liberating and convicting. Um, so I, I want to encourage you to listen not only with your physical ears, but listen with your spiritual ears. Hear what the Spirit of God is saying to you as this man kind of just lays it out in plain English what prayer is and intimacy with God might look like in the life, everyday life of a believer. The men who have done the most for God in this world, and ladies, he's not leaving you out. This is people. Um, it was just a different time back then, so don't feel like you're excluded from this. The men who have done the most for God in this world have been early on their knees. He who fritters away the early morning, its opportunity and freshness in other pursuits than seeking God, will make poor headway seeking him the rest of the day. If God is not first in our thoughts and efforts in the morning, he will be in the last place the remainder of the day. And can I just say, in my own personal life, I'm being very transparent with you, that is true. If I do not pursue God first, if I do not give him first place and priority in my life, I'm going to be play, playing catch up the rest of the day. And guess what? I never catch up. He's got to be first. Um, I had issue with this as an early believer because I didn't want to get up at dark 30 in the morning 
to spend time in prayer and my word. But I began to learn as I engaged with the Lord and as I read my Bible and as I spent time with other believers, that was the best time of day to give him. Why? Because nobody else interrupted that time. If you notice when you're up early in the morning, nobody else is up with you. And so that's a good principle to follow um, because many of us have children or families or spouses uh, or neighbors or good friends that we connect with regularly. And we've got to find that time that is set alone just for him. And Ian Bounds, I believe, hit it right on the head. First time, first in the morning, first place. And let me just give you a a little insight into your relationship with the Lord. Um, He is as practical as you want him to be. I remember a time in my life when I said, Lord, I really don't enjoy getting up early in the morning and I need help to do that. Now, I know we have alarm clocks and all that kind of stuff, but I said, Lord, I want to give you the first part of my day. Would you help me do that? And can I tell you, he is excited to help you do that. Um, Ever since that time, I've not needed to wake up with an alarm clock. He's woken me up. I'm not going to tell you the times because it's different every morning and he has different assignments for me to to do and pray and things to read and spend time in his presence meditating. But it has been a wonderful adventure and journey. And so I want to invite you uh, to take a chance with God. Um, Give him your mornings. Um, I used to think, well, that's my time because I get to sleep as long as I want to. And then I roll out of bed and hit the alarm clock and then rush into work and then I'm going, 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 going. But I'm telling you, as I've learned to give the Lord my mornings, my days are in so much more of order and understanding. And even when I get curveballs thrown at me, I know I've spent time with the Lord this morning. He knew this was going to happen before it even happened. And I know he's with me and for me. Um, I think it was um, Susanna Wesley who um, she, she had to be creative with her time with the Lord And she had so many kids in a small house that she would just pull her apron over her head. And that would be her time with the Lord. And the kids knew, unless you are dying and there is an emergency, don't bother mama when she's talking to God. Um, So sometimes we have to get creative with those things. But the emphasis is that we spend time with the Lord. So let's dive right in to the teaching tonight. Let's look at letter A on your outline. Um, To be with him. Mark's gospel, chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, it can really get our spiritual blood pumping when we read this passage of scripture. And most of us love this passage of scripture, but many times we miss the most important aspect of what Jesus was trying to communicate to his disciples when he was quoting this very verse. So let's read it together and see what we can come, uh, have come to the surface. Mark 3, 14 and 15, he appointed 12 designating them apostles. Now we know them as the 12 disciples. Apostles and disciples are interchangeable, so don't let that confuse you. That they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. Now, woo, we get excited on the preach and drive out demons. We got authority and power. That's the part we focus on when we read that verse. But we miss that little phrase that I've got highlighted there. He chose those 12 to be with him. You must be with him first before anything else of any consequence will take place. You cannot go to the preaching and the casting out devils without being with him. 
And so many times we gloss right over that because it's just right there in the wording. It's not highlighted in our Bible. And we want, we want the manifestation gifts and we want the power and the authority and we want to get doing stuff for God. We're such a do, do, do generation in society that we forget the importance of just being with him, spending time with him, setting time aside to be with him. So that's very important in the life of prayer as a disciple of Jesus. The second thing we need to talk about briefly is relationship over religion. Now, when I say the word religion, a lot of people think, well, I know exactly what Pastor Justin's talking about. That's all this man-made stuff and church and checking the boxes and yes. But let me, under, let me help us all understand something. Religion is not a bad thing. Religion gives us structure and gives us rails to run on to corporately interact and engage with God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So religion is not a bad thing. Going to church is not a bad thing. But if that's all you're doing, then you're missing much more of the larger picture. Religion is not all there is to relationship with Christ. We've got to focus on that relationship. Remember, to be with him. So flowing out of being with him and that relationship with him, we begin to talk with him. He begins to talk to us. We begin to understand his ways. Not just what he does, but his ways, why he does what he does. Then his heart is unfolded to us and we fall more deeply in love with him. So it has to be relationship over just religion. Maybe I should word it that way. Relationship over just religion. Because if you're just checking a religious box, you're missing out on so many things that the Lord has for you in relationship with him. And he wants us to discover that. And a lot of times we need to discover that when it's just me and him. When it's just us uninterrupted and nothing else distracting us or garnering our affection or attention. Letter C in your notes, the progression of prayer. We should be constantly growing. Um, if you plant a seed in the ground and you water it correctly and fertilize it, guess what? It should grow. I mean, even if you don't have a green thumb, there should be certain things going on in the life of that seed to make it come to maturity as a plant, and then to bear fruit, whether it be a flower or something we can eat uh, and produce more seeds to reproduce itself. So there should be a constant growing in our prayer life. And pastors taught us beautifully uh, these three points of this progression in our prayer life. And I want to remind you of them again tonight. We should move from duty, D-U-T-Y, to discipline, to delight. Now, what does that look like? Well, when it's our duty to do something, that means it's our responsibility. We got to make it happen. I, man, I, I may not like this, but it's my duty. I've got to do this. But the Lord says that's the first place to begin. That's not the last place we end up. That's the first place we start. And then as we grow in our relationship with the Lord, it becomes a discipline. Why? Because we begin to understand our need for him and our dependence on him because we've been with him and we're like, man, I can't miss it. It's a discipline. I got to make sure I'm in the word. I got to make sure I'm in prayer. I got to make sure I'm listening to God's voice. And this is when you know you're beginning to mature and understand the heart of the father is when not only is it a duty and a discipline, but it begins to be your delight. You can't wait to be in God's presence. It's not just something you do. It's someone you are with. And 
just try to tell your husband or wife or your son or daughter, you know, well, I, you know, I love you, but it's my duty. You know, I gotta, I'm responsible for you. You know, that, that probably makes them feel real warm and fuzzy, doesn't it? Probably not. Um, well, I, I got to be disciplined. You know, got to feed these kids three times a day and make sure they get to school on time and brush their teeth and make sure they're clothed. But I'm, I'm disciplined and I'm going to make sure it gets done. Well, yeah, sometimes we have to do that. But when you have the heart of a spouse or a heart of the father and mother and it's your delight to love on your kids and care for them, it's your delight to hold your wife's hand or to kiss your husband's face or to tell them, I love you. I want to be in this relationship with you. That's a lot different than duty and discipline, isn't it? It's a delight. It captivates your attention. It captivates your affection. And so that's what we're after in our relationship with the Lord, moving in that progression from duty to discipline to delight. Now we're going to look at six types of prayer. We're going to discuss the first three in this session and then we'll discuss the second three in the next session, part two. But uh, there are six types of prayer. This is not an exhaustive list. I'm sure you could come up with several more. But looking at the basics of the life of prayer and the believer, these, this is a good place to start. If we can kind of understand these six and get a grasp on them and implement them in our daily walk with the Lord, in our relationship with him, it'll make our um, time with him so much more rich. But let's look at number one there, devotion. Most of us know that type of prayer, devotional prayer. Um, it's the time of prayer where we spend in worship with the Lord. We spend reading his word. Uh, we may cry out to him with our needs, our desires. Um, we may thank him for his faithfulness. We may thank him for his provision in our lives. And so that devotional type of prayer needs to be in our life and it's probably where most of us begin. Most of us start when we give our heart to Christ and we begin to grow in that relationship with him. There is this devotional aspect of our life that we, what does devotional mean? I'm devoted to the Lord. I'm devoted to who he is and what he wants. And so we do worship him. We do read our word. We do pray and let him know our needs and we do give him thanks. Um, but it grows, that devotion grows. Again, the progression from duty to discipline to delight. There's a second type of prayer we also need to look at, and it's repentance prayer. Um, did you know that once Jesus forgives you of your sins and cleanses you from all unrighteousness and you become his child, that we're, we're set free from the bondage of sin. We're set free from the power of sin and um, sin's cap captivity on our lives. But did you know we still need to repent? There is still a measure and level of repentance that we need to pursue as we follow the Lord. Um, I like when it's people talk about, they talk about keeping short accounts with God. It's like an accounting term. You want to make sure you don't let the debits begin to outweigh the credits, so to speak. Not that, our, not that we can compare and say, well, Lord, I got more credits and debits, so I'm still good with you. That's not what I'm talking about. We're saved. We're going to heaven. His blood cleanses us. This is a relationship we have with him that we want to keep a short account with him. So if we have um, hurt his heart or if we've neglected his word or if he's given us an assignment and we've done our own thing or, or gone our own way, we need to come back and say, Lord, I'm sorry. I, I repent. If we have a bad attitude, if we're not showing the gifts and fruit of the Spirit, 
like he wants us to, we repent of that. And, and let me tell you this. A lot of folks look at repentance that word and they're like, man, that's negative. That is so negative. I just, repentance. That means I get caught and I'm bad. No, repentance is good news. It means that you run to the one who can make the difference in your life and tell him, Father, I've blown it. I have really messed up and I need you to step in and help me. Why did I do this on my own strength? Why did I try to figure this out without you? Lord, would you forgive me? That's keeping a short account with the Lord. Just as you would with your siblings or with your spouse. You want that relationship to be vibrant and fresh. And so whatever it takes to say, hey, oh, did I say something to hurt your feelings? I'm so sorry. That wasn't my intention. It's all in the communication, the motive and attitude of the heart. And that's what we're looking at with repentance. We want to keep a short account with God. And can I just say this too? Many times we ask the Lord to forgive us of things that we're, we don't know that we did. Really? Really? I think we know. I think we know when we hurt the Father's heart. I think we know when we transgress his law. And, and I just don't want you to be praying um, useless prayers because Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. And when we go against the grain of what God wants to do in us, he lets us know. There, there's, a, there's a witness in our spirit. There's a prick in our heart. And we realize, oh man, I, I shouldn't have done that or I shouldn't have said that. Um, it may have been a judge, judgmental word about someone else that God purchased their salvation with his own blood. It, it may have been an attitude that I had um, with someone that you know, wasn't really gracious and loving and kind. And I'm not saying we have to be perfect. I'm just saying we need to be in tune with the Lord. And when we spend time with him, and we have a devotional life of prayer and we have a repentance life of prayer. We stay sensitive before him so that we don't transgress his law and we don't break his heart and we don't, don't go against his will and do our own thing. That, that should become our delight. Repentance is good news. Run to him and say, Lord, I blew it. I messed up. He's ready to help us in those areas. Now, this is where we'll spend the, the, the rest of our time tonight is an intercession. You've probably heard this word, um, intercession. It's, it's like a $3 word for, hey, I'm praying, standing in the gap for someone. Someone has a need and maybe they can't necessarily pray for themselves or they don't know the need that they have. And so I stand in the gap for them. It's numbering yourself with the transgressors. Um, identificational repentance if you understand that I don't have time to get into that tonight but it's like Moses saying Lord if you're going to wipe out Israel take me with them I'm not anything more special than them it was Moses saying I am my people I am a representative of my people and if they're not pleasing you then I need the same punishment even though he went and talked to God face to face he said I deserve the same punishment they do I'm no one special that's what intercession is telling God what he has already told us to tell him. That's really the crux of intercessory prayer is we say, heaven, what do you want in the earth? Father, what is your will that you desire to take place on earth as it is in heaven? And we get that revelation. We get that download from heaven. And then we begin to declare that because that word came from the Lord. It didn't come from Justin's burden or, or um, Janice's heart or... Susie's, you know, preference. 
It's, Lord, what do you desire? What do you want accomplished? And we begin to pray that. And, boy, that's agreement prayer right there because we're agreeing with the one who set it in motion. We're not just, saying, we're not just throwing up wishful prayers thinking maybe God will answer this one. We're praying God's will and asking him to do what he's already told us he wants to do. This is the hard work or sweat of the soul. Why do I say that? Because it is hard work to discern God's heart and will for a situation, a circumstance, a, a, a challenge, um, a, a, um, an obstacle. We need the Lord's help and we need to discern his heart for those things. Because once we've discerned his heart and we begin to pray in agreement with him, man, it's, it's the easiest thing in the world. But we don't get there just like that. It's, it's the hard work. It's the sweat of the soul. It's your exercise routine in prayer intercession. And hey, sometimes we get it right and sometimes we don't. But we learn in that process of what the Lord is desiring and what he wants through intercession. I want to just briefly look at these four passages here um, of scripture. We've got Abraham standing as an intercessor in Genesis for the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. We've got Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church. He's kind of standing in the gap interceding for the, the Ephesian church. We've got Job praying for his friends. And then we got Paul's instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2. Very quickly, Abraham in Genesis 18, it says, Then the Lord said, The outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so grievous that I will go down and see what they have done is as bad as the outcry that has reached me. If not, I'll know. The men turned away and went toward Sodom, but Abraham remained standing before the Lord. Then Abraham approached him and said, Will you sweep away the righteous with the wicked? What if there are 50 righteous people in the city? Will you really sweep it away and not spare the place for the sake of 50 righteous people? This was a bold step for Moses. He's saying, Lord, I know your character. I know your ways. I know your heart. If there are 50 people that serve you and love you, surely you wouldn't wipe the city out for 50. And we see them going back and forth. And he, Moses begins to think, well, are there 50 people? in Sodom and Gomorrah. Okay, how about 45, Lord? How about 40? And he goes to 30, then to 20, and then to 10. And we know what happens. The Lord went and brought judgment on the city and only Moses' relatives, Lot, and some of his children escaped uh, the fire and brimstone that came and the judgment that came to that. But Moses was standing in the gap for the people of that city. They didn't even know it. They didn't even know they were in sin. They didn't even know the judgment was coming. And yet Moses saying, Lord, I'm crying out to you. Would you spare the city for 50? Would you spare the city for 45? He even got down to 10. He thought, surely, maybe, maybe there's 10 in my family that live there that you would spare the city for. So that's intercession in, Moses, in Abraham's life. Sorry, not Moses. And then Paul's prayer for the Ephesians church. In Ephesians 1, 15 and 19, we pray this very often here. It's one of the apostolic prayers that Paul prays. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance and in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. 
He was crying out to God, praying that the people in Ephesus would experience these aspects and facets of God's character and love and blessing. He didn't have to do that. He could have prayed that for himself. But he said, no, I've experienced it. I want the Ephesian church to experience it. So he began to cry out to God on their behalf. That's intercession. And then we've got Job's prayer for his friends in Job 42, 7 to 9. After the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So now take seven bulls and seven rams and go to my servant Job and sacrifice a burnt offering for yourselves. My servant Job will pray for you. There's the act of intercession. God's saying to the friends of Job, you offer the sacrifice and then Job's going to pray for you and that's what's going to change things. And I will accept his prayer and not deal with you according to your folly. You have not spoken the truth about me as my servant Job has. So Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite did what the Lord told them, and the Lord accepted Job's prayer. Job stood in the gap. There was about to be judgment on Job's three friends, and God said, I'll set it up, but I'm not going to hear your prayer. I'm going to hear Job's prayer because he's been speaking the truth the whole time. And then we have Paul's instruction to Timothy, and we pray this very often here, especially in regards to government. And, and government leaders in 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 4. I urge then first of all that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. We can intercede, and we do regularly, for our leaders. They may be believers in Christ. They may not be. That's not the point. The point is that we are standing in the gap so that the Lord's will is accomplished and their hearts are turned toward him so that they can be the best leaders possible. Why? So that we can live quiet and peaceable lives. God wants that. He says that's good. So we must pray for our leaders. We must intercede for those, even those we don't agree with, even those we don't understand, even those we may not line up with their convictions or principles, we still pray for them because God is the one who can soften hearts. God is the one that can bring revelation to the scene of someone's life and say, I'm going about this all wrong. I I need to shift my thinking. I need to shift my stance. I, I need to stand on a different platform than the one I'm standing on. The Lord can do that. We cannot do that, but we can ask God to do that as he lays those leaders and those people in authority on our hearts. And that's where we stand in intercession. So, just very quickly tonight, we've talked about three of the six areas of prayer. Our devotional prayer, repentance prayer, and intercession prayer. I hope you'll join us for part two when we'll talk about meditation. We'll talk about praying in the spirit. And we'll also talk about prophetic prayer. And I want to give you some practical suggestions to kind of help implement those in your everyday life as we look at the life of prayer in session, uh, session two, part two. Thank you for being here tonight for part one. Father, would you just help us tonight as we pursue you in a life of prayer? Lord, I pray that these types of prayer, some may be new to us, some may be old, but Lord, I pray that you breathe fresh breath on them so that we can experience them with you. Because Lord, the bottom line is this, 
as we read in Mark's gospel tonight, we want to be with you. And we thank you that when we spend time in your presence, you will provide everything we need as we walk on this planet as representatives of your kingdom. Or thank you for helping uh, me tonight and thank you for anointing your word. And I thank you that your word will not return void. You promised that. So touch hearts and lives through it in Jesus' name. Amen.